This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Chauvin, the police officer who was convicted of murdering George Floyd, has been in the news a great deal lately. There's been a couple of interesting articles raising questions about his culpability in Floyd's death. There was a case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And there's a a new documentary out about this. And... Not last Friday, but the previous Friday, it was revealed that he was stabbed. Now, that's not super unusual. In prison, people get stabbed. What, uh, especially someone that is a former police officer, they are a major target in prison, and someone that is thought of as, um, I don't know, a linchpin of a lot of the racial controversies that have enveloped the country over the course of the last three years. So uh, this past Friday, a week later, we learned some more details about the stabbing. For starters, Chauvin was stabbed 22 times at the Federal Correctional Institution in Tucson, Arizona. 22 times. I don't know why, but when it was reported that Chauvin was stabbed, I don't know, I just kind of pictured him being shivved, and then somebody walks away. 22 times, even if it's done quickly, I mean, that's, just think of, do the stabbing motion 22 times. That's a lot of effort, and that's not a quick thing. John Tursak, who's been charged with attempted murder for stabbing Chauvin, said that he would have killed him. And he said he did it on Black Friday because he was uh, hoping to show some sort of solidarity with Black Lives Matter. There's a couple of interesting things about this. For starters, what in the heck is wrong with the Bureau of Prisons? This is just the latest incident inside a federal correctional institution that never should have happened. This attempted murder comes less than five months after Larry Nasser, the doctor convicted of sexually abusing young female gymnasts, including one that I know who used to work here, actually. Um, He was stabbed multiple times at the federal prison in Florida. It also follows the release of a Justice uh, Department report detailing incompetence and mismanagement at federal detention centers, incompetence and mismanagement that led to the deaths in recent years of Whitey Bulger and, who could forget, Jeffrey Epstein. You go back even a few more years, we can look at the case of uh, Ronnell Wilson, the convicted cop killer that managed to impregnate one of the uh, correction officers that was guarding him at the time. I mean, what is going on at this agency? 
And the, but, but by the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's all sorts of other incidents of just pandemic incompetence. Now, I realize they have a relatively new director there, Colette Peters. She's been there less than a year. So I'm not going to pit all of the the problems at the Bureau of Prisons on Colette Peters. And Ms. Peters does seem like she had a pretty decent record where she came from running the prison system in Oregon. However, my suspicion is that this is an agency that needs to be totally blown up and rebuilt. And I know a lot of people may think, Oh, Derek Chauvin's a bad guy. Uh, he had it coming. They may think Larry Nasser shouldn't have been sexually assaulting all those gymnasts. He had it coming. Um, Whitey Bulger killed a lot of people. What they had, what they did to him, and plus he was a rat on top of it. Oh, they he had it coming. Well, you know what? None of these people were sentenced to that kind of a sentence. We are a society of laws. And when you're sent to prison, it should not be an expectation that you're going to be stabbed 22 times or assaulted within an inch of your life or, in the case of um, Mr. Bulger, murdered, in the case of Epstein, either killed or allowed to kill yourself. The jury is still out on that one as far as I'm concerned. I just, I don't know what it will take, but it needs a radical reimagining at every level. You know, one of the things to this day uh, that uh, got the most attention of anything I ever wrote was a column that I wrote. You can find it online. But it was a column that I wrote, I think, after Epstein's death. It might have been after Bulger's death, saying that um, President Trump should appoint Bernard Carrick to be the commissioner or the director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons because of the job that he did turning around the jail system in New York. And I think he would actually be better suited now because he's actually been an inmate at a federal prison and knows what that's like. But um, I don't know that uh, if President Biden or President Trump or whomever the next president is were to offer Carrick the job, he would take it. But you need someone that can go in there and just cut through all this bureaucracy and red tape. If you want to react to this, you can. 800-848-9222. That's one aspect of it. Now, here's what I find very suspicious. Very suspicious. John Tursak, the 52-year-old who's been charged with attempting to murder Derek Chauvin, the man who stabbed him 22 times. We now know, and this just came out over the weekend, we now know that this man was a former FBI informant. He became an FBI informant, according to the LA Times, in 1997. He was sought out by the FBI while he was a member of the Mexican Mafia prison gang, and he helped federal authorities with an investigation that resulted in the indictment of more than 40 Mexican Mafia members and associates. However, Tursak was dropped as an informant after prosecutors said he admitted to extorting money, dealing drugs, and authorizing assaults while receiving monetary compensation as an informant. So, He was getting paid by you, the taxpayers, and still extorting people and authorizing assaults. So in 2001, Tursak was sentenced to 30 years in prison after pleading guilty to racketeering and conspiring to kill a rival in the prison-based gang. 
And at the time of his sentencing, he slammed the FBI and told the judge, I didn't commit those crimes for kicks. I did them because I had to if I wanted to stay alive. I told that to the FBI, and they just said, do what you have to do. Uh, by the way, I don't know anything about John Tursack, but I have followed the FBI and their handling of informants over the years. I, I absolutely find that to be credible. I can absolutely see the value that he was providing as an informant, and the FBI basically said something along the lines of, okay, do what you have to do. Just keep giving us the information we, we want. So now Tursack has admitted to stabbing Officer Chauvin, former Officer Chauvin, and he uh, spoke with FBI agents following the attack. Prosecutors said that Terzak used an improvised knife and allegedly told authorities he would have killed Chauvin had they not intervened. What I'm wondering here is, look, it could be just a coincidence that these this violent criminal who has a history of violence, stabbed Chauvin. Could have been just a coincidence that he used to be an FBI informant. But I'm wondering, do you think there's anything more to the story? It just seems unusual in terms of the timing. Now you have reports coming out, articles being written, saying that uh, George Floyd may not have died from a murder, might have been something else. We've had one of those writers on this show. And you have the Supreme Court case, you have this documentary all coming out, and now all of a sudden he gets stabbed 22 times, and the person that stabs him just happens to be a former informant. Now, maybe that goes to show you how prevalent the use of informants are by the FBI. Uh, but um, I, uh, I don't know. I think there's something more to it. I'm curious if you do. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. You can also email me if you like. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. That's Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. I want to give a shout out especially to our listeners in Missouri listening on KMOX, where they are celebrating Monday, Missouri Mondays with Morano on MOX. So uh, appreciate uh, appreciate all of you listening and your regular correspondence. If you like this show and you don't, you know, get to hear it the rest of the week, you should encourage the good folks over at KMOX to carry this show regularly, not just on Mondays. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. I find every aspect of this story troubling. The pandemic incompetence at the Federal Bureau of Prisons and the stabbing of this gentleman. And I just wonder, uh, of all the people, of all the prisoners that are going to stab him, it's somebody that used to get paid by the federal government that, uh, that did it. Could be a coincidence. But whenever there's a coincidence like that, I think it's worth looking at. So, I don't know. Um, But Chauvin is expected to recover. They say he's in uh, stable condition. Again, though, and I've heard other people make this point, this person should never have been in general population. When you have any sort of a cop, but especially one as high profile and as high profile for a racial incident 
as Derek Chauvin was in general population, that's an invitation to violence. So I find a lot about this very, very suspicious. Oh, I didn't even mention Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, who killed three people and injured 23 in a bombing rampage. He died by suicide in June at a federal prison. I mean, these are all pretty high-profile prisoners. Nasser, Epstein, Bulger, Chauvin. I mean, don't you think somebody can keep an eye on them? I don't know. Um, John is in Maryland. John, I understand you are a former correction officer. Um, I did two and a half years as a correction officer, and I did 26 years as a police detective in Washington, D.C. Wonderful. So you're the guy. You're the guy. You should have some insight into this case. Give me, Tell me what your gut is telling you. Um, honestly, I think there's a lot of things with there is corruption within the upper ranks of police departments. So, there are things that are wrong. Um, I've seen things like on international law level, but and honestly, going back to George Floyd with the autopsy reports coming out now, uh, you know, I'm sorry that police officer Chevelle got screwed. Well, I mean, and, look, I mean, I don't want to necessarily redo the trial, but do you think? The stabbing was tied to the, you know, the new information that's coming out about about that case now. Um, I don't know about that, but if you're a pedophile in jail, you're gonna get you're gonna get you're gonna get taken care of. Yeah, well, I certainly don't think that's right either. But John, I guess um, so as far as the stabbing of uh, of officer Chauvin do you think there was anything suspicious or do you think that uh this is just um you know an angry guy that uh, didn't like what Chauvin had done and took issue with him what, what do you think what does your gut tell you so quite, quite honestly as a law enforcement officer if he was in, put in prison in a federal facility I would think that he would be in a secure place where they he would not be harmed Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would have expected. Uh, very interesting. Thanks, John. Thanks for your service as well. 800-848-9222. David is in the Bronx. What do you think, David? Okay, good morning. Good morning. All right. You know, I think it's a, a pretty unfair of you to make assertions. I mean, you're not actually coming out and saying it, but you're implying that someone in the government was responsible for that stabbing. You, as someone who knows many criminals personally who've been in prison, you know that informants who work, who, uh, work with the FBI, they're not employees of the government. Almost all of them are criminals. So is it really surprising that someone with a long criminal rap sheet would actually commit a crime in prison? No. Do we really have to imply that the government was somehow behind it? Perhaps this guy had access to the media, and there's been a lot of attention around Chauvin recently Perhaps that's the reason the guy did the stabbing. I think it's a big reach on your part to imply that somehow his former position as an informant had anything to do with this. Well, you know what? Maybe you're right, David. I just, um, I find it like with all the Mexican mafia people that are in prison, why was it him? 
a, a guy that used to get paid while he was still out on the streets committing crimes. I, I mean, look, I don't know who would have anything to gain, honestly, by Derek Chauvin being murdered in prison. I, I think uh, for some people, it would actually cause the case to be looked at more closely and scrutinized more closely than uh, than it already is. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I was concocting a conspiracy theory. I'm not sure who who I would say has the motive to kind of vanquish Chauvin uh, in the federal system. So I really don't know. I just find it interesting that, uh, again, maybe it's just a reflection of the sheer number of people that are former informants that find themselves behind bars these days. I just find it uh, interesting that of all the people, it's this guy. You know, again, there's probably nothing to it. I just find it interesting. Well, Frank, I'll say this, and, and I'm inclined to agree with you on one thing. We need to do a better job of protecting people who end up in prison. And it's not just federal prison. It's the state prisons as well. There is so much abuse going on, and people who have access to weapons they shouldn't have, and people who are being murdered or beaten or sexually assaulted. And, you know, when that stuff happens, people think it's funny. And we need to change the way we think about it. And hopefully something like this will bring attention to this. Because in my opinion, he should have been in protective custody, being that he was a former police officer. 100%. Why was he, even in, the, why was he in the general population? Well, well and that's, that, that's that. kind of what feeds into why I think there's something that doesn't smell right here. Is It's almost, uh, why was he in general population? Was it a result of incompetence? Or was it a, was it intentional? I believe in the case of Whitey Bulger being in general population, and it just so happened he's in the same area of the prison as a guy that he helped send to prison. I believe that was intentional. Nobody is going to convince me that that wasn't. I uh, I'm not you know I don't know enough about the circumstances as to why Chauvin was in Gen Pop, but it just it just that. And the and the informant aspect of it, it just makes me scratch my head. David, thank you for the call. Thank you for uh, always setting us straight and not letting me veer too uh, too much into um, conspiracy land. All right. Hey, speaking of um, conspiracies, there have always been a lot of conspiracies around Jimmy Hoffa. You might have heard Gnome Layden a couple of weeks ago. Gnome brought to my attention this story, and I've covered Hoffa a lot on the uh, Racket Report podcast and on the show a little bit. Gnome brought to my attention this group of former law enforcement officials that work on cold cases. And one of the cases that they're working on is Jimmy Hoffa. They've done an incredible amount of investigation on this, and you're not going to believe what they've found about where Hoffa's remains might be. This is going to, this is something that if it was not a serious person telling you this, you would think would be the stuff of science fiction. You're going you're gonna to have to listen to believe it. You're going to have to hear it to believe it. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other.
other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight presents what you're about to hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. This is the Morano mystery. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, if there's one thing I really enjoy on this radio program, and as far as I'm concerned, it's what overnight radio was made for. It's exploring mysteries. And we've tried to explore mystery after mystery. Uh, What's going on with the John F. Kennedy assassination? Whatever became of uh, Judge Crater? Is there really anything to that uh, Bermuda Triangle situation? And I've Obviously, one of the great mysteries that we spend a lot of time talking about, aliens, real, fact, fiction, what's the deal? I don't think there's a mystery over the course of the last half century that has generated more interest, more enthusiasm, and more speculation than what became of Jimmy Hoffa, the former Teamsters union leader who was kind of a larger-than-life figure, still venerated in many quarters of the organized labor movement. There have been movies made about his life and disappearance. There's been books, books, and more books made or written about his life and his disappearance. Well, now there is a group of former law enforcement officers that think they may be on the verge of a major discovery when it comes to solving the Jimmy Hoffa case. Very pleased to be joined by the man who has been a leader in that effort, uh, James Zimmerman, a former police officer and a 13-year member of Case Breakers, the elite team that's solving our greatest mysteries. Jim, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Frank. Thank you. Fill us in, Jim. Uh, What exactly do you guys do? What is Case Breakers? Case Breakers is a group of uh, retired uh, law enforcement and the fringe of law enforcement. So that include people that work in labs and do DNA and et cetera, and polygraphers and everything else. And we take a look at, uh, we we get leads on various cases, and we take a look at them, uh, just to name a couple, D.B. Cooper, um, the Atlanta child murders uh, was another one, the Zodiac Killer, and, of course, Jimmy Hoffa. So as far as the Hoffa case goes, is this something that you've always been interested in? Is this something you've always been curious about? Or did your interest in the case begin with your work as part of Case Breakers? Actually, um, it's something that, you know, growing up in Chicago area, um, the mafia was very prevalent back when I grew up in the 60s and 70s and uh, obviously working through the 80s into the 90s. And I was thrust into this case to with a girl that I was dating. Her uncle used to live next door <clears throat> to one of the uh, mob figures. His name was Joey Iupa. And Joey was a very influential member of the uh, mafia in Chicagoland area. And her uncle, Harold Walders, used to live next door to Joey Iupa. And um, he was, in later years when I met him in the 90s, he was a locksmith up in Woodruff, Wisconsin. Hmm. Now, this was my girlfriend, Michelle's uncle. And she was basically his only living relative. And he claimed to know where Jimmy Hoffa was buried. So I brought this case to the case breakers ah. via that lead. <clears throat> so given that lead that you got from Joey Iupa, 
How long have you been working on this, the mystery of Jimmy Hoffa and investigating what became of his remains? Well, when I first found out about this uh, through my girlfriend at the time, Michelle, when her uncle passed, uh, how it came to be was we used to go up fishing every year. We both enjoyed fishing. We go to the north woods of Wisconsin and go fishing. And her uncle would hook us up with various friends of his who were also guides. And he would tell some stories because he used to be a policeman in Chicago, then in Oak Brook, uh, Illinois. And his, his, his past was a little checkered and I kind of knew of it, but I didn't know specifically. And he had told her in the mid late nineties before he passed, he said, if anything ever happens to me, make sure you grab that card off the bulletin board in the back bedroom. You'll know what to do. And that was the card that initiated this whole investigation. However, with that being said, Frank, you have to appreciate that in the mid-90s, the mafia in the Chicagoland area, I would consider still to be fair, fairly uh, prevalent and be some very dangerous people that were alive. So my girlfriend was a little nervous about this when she found the card and told me what it said and what was on it. And I had told she was in fear for her and her her family's life. And I said, I wouldn't do anything with this if I were you. I would just leave it wow. sit. It's not going anywhere. And that's how this whole thing started. And nothing came to light until about 2018 when I brought it to the case breakers, because by that time, Things with the mafia considerably calmed down. There had been seven other cases uh, that I know of where they all knew where Jimmy Hoffa was, but yet I always took interest in that, but they never seemed to find him, because, which made me believe that our lead is even better. And uh, I convinced her that now would be a good time that I'm involved with this group to let us investigate it, and anybody that could probably do her or her family harm would long be gone, and uh, I think we could find out truly if Jimmy Hoffa was there. And that's how this all, you know, came about to unfold for the case breakers. So I think before we can discuss where Hoffa's body or where his remains are, it's helpful for people to know what became of Jimmy Hoffa. And I feel like you just alluded to it, given the uh, given the discussion that you had with uh, Joey Iupa, who, if, if people don't know, was a huge Chicago mob boss. They called him Joey Doves. But um, what became of Jimmy Hoffa? What is your best research in terms of who killed him and why the best research on who killed him we haven't we, we can't determine now we do believe joey iupa was behind it because he was very influential and again that was harold walder's relationship was with joey i never spoke to joey uh however Harold claimed to his best friends, Patty and Dick Pierce up in Woodruff, Wisconsin, that in many occasions, how he had done surveillance on Jimmy Hoffa for Joey Iupa. And they also related that to us when we were up there fishing with them. And they also told us, and they make a joke out of it, and so would Harold, that every year Cadillac would come up with two men in suits and meet Harold at the country kitchen in Minocqua and give him an envelope and go home. So all those are indicators that, you know, it's obviously he's being paid for something. And it coming, my assumption at the time would be coming from the mafia as far as that goes. Now, if I'm talking too much or too long, just interrupt me, please. Um, I'm trying to give you all no, your answers with absolutely. a little Thank background you. to them. No, I, so, I appreciate it. Okay, very good. So 
uh, when the card came to light, we as case breakers looked at it. Uh, well, I should say in 2018, when I brought it to their attention, we looked at it. And what we did is we did some background information on the possibility of where, you know, it's saying that Jimmy Hoff was buried at third base at the old uh, Milwaukee County Stadium, which had long been, you know, gone in a new ballpark put up, et cetera, which then would create a dilemma for us. So what we did as part of the investigation is we got an expert on the ball field from Milwaukee to be able to see exactly where the old third base is and where, you know, things where it lays in the, in the current structure of the stadium that was built in the grounds around it. And we used, you know, obviously members of the, uh, of the case breakers, uh, and, uh, Kleinfeld is one of our best ones for getting, uh, geographical data. And what he did is he went and did overlays with GPS, uh, photos to be able to determine the exact location of, of where third base was. Because what they did when they erect new stadiums next to old ones, a lot of times they leave home plate there and they memorialize it. Mm -hmm. Well, they did the same thing in in Wisconsin. However, home plate is not where home plate really was, which really affects where third base is because we all know it's 90 feet apart. (laughs) So that took some background, some information, and a lot of overlay photos and talking to the historian authority on the ballparks to find out exactly where that was. Once we had that information at hand and we were confident that we knew exactly where third base was, myself and a few other people uh, with a uh, uh, a guy that works in uh, global positioning systems for uh, ground penetrating radar, he came up with his equipment and he, we went in the area and we started searching the area where we believe third base would have been. And what came up on the ground penetrating radar was that there was a disturbance exactly where third base would have been. Now that doesn't mean, and again, I, I, you know, I was a little negative to our head guy, Tom Colbert, cause he was all excited. I said, that doesn't mean that Jimmy Hoff is there. That means that something was disturbed in the soil. But what you need to understand, Frank, is that they built a kid's ballpark, basically where the old ballpark was. However, they excavated it out and dug it way down in. And the excavation where it's dug out and weighed, the ballpark sits way down, it's like about a 10-foot wall or so, is literally about, eh, I'm guesstimating about 20 yards from where it's dug out of the field to where we believe third base was. Where third base was is actually concrete now and adjacent to a parking lot. And that's where we found the ground penetrating radar. So my assumption would have been that, you know, that's awfully close for comfort, assuming that Jimmy Hoffa was buried there, as we believe, they might have moved him. And that's still a possibility mm-hmm. that I, 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 you know, I'm 50-50. In fact, I'm a little better than 50-50, but it was so close. Just stop and think when you're at construction sites, and I've been involved on the fringe of construction and other jobs that I've had. You could get someone excavating, and they could go a little bit too far than what they need to do. And 20 yards is not very far. So what we also looked into is who is at the ballpark? Who works at the ballpark? Well, you got grounds crew that are there all the time, correct? And they have equipment because somebody mentioned to me that they went back and looked at old photos of the ballpark 
from the date of the card that we have that says Jimmy Hoffa buried at third base, and it, and it you know it talks about 19, uh, 1995, September 16th, and they confirm that the Milwaukee Brewers were in the playoffs, but they weren't home at that time. But when they look at, when they return back home and they look and add video of the ballpark, that none of the dirt seems to be disturbed. I don't think he was buried on that date. My belief is that that was the date of the meeting with Jimmy Hoffa, mm. Joe Flagalese, who was the president of Zenith, and I'll get to that, why that's important, and Joey Iupa. I mean, not Jimmy Hoffa there, but Joe Flagalese, Joey Iupa, and then Harold Walders were all present. That was the date of the meeting. But for the sake of answering that if that was where he was buried and that date, which I don't think that's what it was, but if that's the case, grounds crew, think of any ballpark in the nation. Name me one that looks like garbage. Those grounds crew oh, people yeah. are amazing. They take a lot so of pride if in, in fact, If, in fact, they dug out third base and they buried him, you would never have known. I don't care what video you were looking at at the playoffs afterwards. They would make that look perfect. And here's the key to that. The grounds crew were Teamsters Union people. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Uh-huh. And obviously, Joey Iupa had an interest, and the mob had an interest in the Teamsters, and that's what led to the whole Hoffa problem, because they thought Hoffa was going to end their money laundering in the casinos in Vegas through the union. And that creates an issue for them if if Jimmy Hoffa was going to end it, and that was what they were kind of arguing and discussing. I don't want to use the word arguing. Let's just say they're discussing, and that's what the mob was worried about. Jimmy Hoffa was going to go too far and stop that because they were using that for their pensions and stuff. Obviously, you you have no way of knowing this, but you probably are in a better position to speculate given your law enforcement background and how much you've looked at this case. Why would they bury him at third base? I mean, why wouldn't they uh, do something like, uh, you know, use a vat of acid to disappear his remains entirely? Why take the chance that even decades after that burial, something might happen to that location and you have to worry about these remains again? Why bury him at third base? You know, I can't answer that to be specific, but let's take a look at some other mafia hits and things, like when the two brothers were buried in a shallow grave in a cornfield in Indiana, just outside Chicago. Why do they do a lot of things? Because they're in a hurry. Mm. But now this lends credence that to maybe where some of the other seven times when they thought they knew where Hoffa was, maybe he was at one of those at a prior time and moved. Uh, and one of the times when he was moved, he might have been moved to Milwaukee County Stadium. Or vice versa, move from Milwaukee County Stadium somewhere else because they didn't want his body found. But I, not being a part of mafia, I can't speak <laughs> to as to what they do and why they do the things they do. But I think some of it is a game, and I think it's a game with law enforcement sometimes with the mafia. I mean, stop and think about some of the big trials in New York and things like that where, you know, they they do things boldly and then they challenge law enforcement. Usually it's the federal government that steps in and they challenge them to get them. <laughs> let's so, say let's say the and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Jim Zimmerman. He's with uh, Case Breakers. They have been uh, researching the Hoffa case and uh, the rather remarkable 
potential discovery that uh, Hoffa might have been buried at the site of a demolished Major League Baseball stadium, which is really wild with you, when you think about it. But let's say um, the remains, as you speculate, were moved. Will we ever know where they are now or whether they were, in fact, at the stadium in Milwaukee? I don't. Well, yes and no. I'm not sure we'll ever know where it went to if it was removed. But what our game plan is, is in October, we brought in cadaver dogs to search the area because on top of the ground penetrating radar that we did two years ago, we've been doing all our background and all our investigation on other things and trying to put puzzle pieces together. And we went ahead and brought in cadaver dogs. Now, I don't know how familiar you are, but let me give you a little story with the dogs we used. This woman that was a handler in in Wisconsin, she was a police officer. She's retired, and she's been doing this a long time. One of the cases that they had in Wisconsin with this specific dog, it's one of her best dogs. There was a guy that was a... Yeah, Yeah, there was a guy that was accused of murdering his wife. And investigators in Wisconsin, I'm just going to give you brief details. I'm not familiar with all of them. Um... He had rented a car, and they felt that he disposed of his wife. Well, they didn't find out he rented a car until many months into the investigation. And it was actually about six months later that they confirmed he did rent a car, and they think that he transported her dead body in the trunk of the car to to get rid of it, wherever that was. So they took this dog, and the car was in a rental agency in in Wisconsin, and they took the dog, and they let the dog roam the parking lot with all the cars. They didn't, they didn't tell her or whichever, which specific car, because she never wants to know. And this dog of all the cars in the parking lot at the rental agency alerted on the trunk of that car six months later after it had been rented, how many times and cleaned how many times that's how good this dog is. So what she wanted from us in order to do the search with her dog, she wanted to not know any of the specifics of where we're looking. She needs the general area. And the reason she wanted the general area, in other words, Milwaukee and and the baseball stadium, was because she wants to do homework for her dogs, a background, to make sure there's no existing cemeteries because, you know, going way back when there could have been Indian burial grounds or things like that that would be in the immediate area because the dogs will alert if there's, you know, old graves there he could possibly alert on that. So she did all her background information. And unfortunately for me, I was not able to make it. I was out of town at that time and I wish I were there, but I do know what happened. I got a play by play and she searched the entire area with her dog. And four times that dog alerted in the grassy area adjacent to the concrete, right where we believe third base was. Wow. Now, you got to remember that even though it's concrete, there still could be things emitting from the concrete, but it's like water. If you ever had your basement flood or, you know, too much water in the area and water comes up through the concrete, which I have had, (laughs) it comes up through the least intrusive method. Well, it's the same thing with a scent for a dog. It's going to be the least intrusive method. And obviously, the grassy area would be least intrusive as opposed to concrete. And she worked that dog over and over again four times, Frank, four times. That made me a believer. That dog alerted right there. So now we got the ground-penetrating radar. 
and we got the alert of a dog. So we tried to go to the FBI with this in the beginning, and we had some resistance, and they have since come on board and want to at least going to check into things, and we're willing to give them our information how we, you know, got to where we are today. But um, what we plan on doing or hoping to do is we want to do a soil boring of that area because if, in fact, we can pull the dirt out from underneath there with soil boring, which would be the least intrusive method, and take that dirt and see if the dog's alert on that dirt, what that tells us, and most people don't, either they don't believe this or they just don't understand it, the dog alerts on the scent of a dead body. It doesn't go away. It's different than a live body. So therefore, the dog alerted there four times. Some person, and it, it, they don't do, they don't alert on animals. Some person, there was a body in that immediate area at some time. Not to say it's not there now. At some time there was. So we want to do the soil boring to see if the dog's going to alert again, is to kind of confirm it. And then from there, I would think the next step, because FBI has done it many other places, including a barn in Michigan uh, and the uh, uh, garbage dump in New Jersey, et cetera, et cetera. They've dug it up. I think it calls for digging up this area to find out if he's actually there or not there. And again, if he's not there, it doesn't make us wrong, Frank. It makes us that we didn't find him. Right. Understood. But, you know, unfortunately, the dog can't tell us, oh, yeah, I'm smelling Jimmy Hoffa, which, but in my (laughs) belief, that's definitely was Jimmy Hoffa. Why else would somebody be buried at third base? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. uh, No, that, uh, I have to tell you, if if this isn't the most convincing um, evidence of where Jimmy Hoffa's remains were, I don't know uh, what is, because uh, I've uh, done a lot of interviews like this. I've uh, heard a lot of different theories and uh, nothing as as uh, concrete, pardon the pun, as uh, as this might be. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think, so now that you've outlined the next steps for hopefully solving this mystery, What's the next mystery that you're going to work on or that cold cases or that uh, case breakers are going to take on? We are still developing our Zodiac killer. We have a DNA profile. However, Riverside PD in California is resistant to give us their DNA profile to see if they match and or participate with us. They just absolutely refuse. And we've tried going through the FBI. The FBI kind of has a bad taste in their mouth over us. I don't know if you ever had the chance, and I'm not trying to promote any show here, but on the History Channel back about a year and a half ago, two years ago, time flies, you're having fun, I'm not exactly sure, we did the D.B. Cooper case, and we presented it to him, and he had an old assistant director from the FBI that was retired, and a uh, an investigative reporter were part of it, and they didn't, they didn't think we had enough evidence. We had the evidence. We come to find out later. We truly believe that the Robert Rackstraw, who we believe was D.B. Cooper, was an asset for the CIA, and that's why they could Wow, never that's interesting. Yep. And the FBI knew that. We had to sue the FBI in order to get that information. And uh, if you ever want to explore that, you need to talk to the head guy, Tom Colbert. He eats, 
sleeps, breathes, and drinks the D.B. Cooper story for years. Uh, he, he just makes my head spin when we have conversations about stuff and he's going over evidence. And he just, every little detail, he truly remembers because he was totally invested in that case. But that, uh, that's just an example of, of, you know, what we worked on. And now we have that similar situation with the Zodiac Killer. We have an area, we, we, we know who he is, the man is passed right now. We believe we know who he is, we have some DNA, we have uh, shells from guns. He used, to go out and, uh, he used to go out and had like a shooting practice. He befriended younger boys and kind of put them into his group. I mean, this is a whole in-depth investigation. And it's the same thing with us. We're still trying to work the Atlanta child murder case as well, where we have some very, very good leads and suspects in that case. I mean, we work hard. And uh, we have a lot of expertise on the team. I don't think anybody outshines anybody else, but everybody, it's, a, it's like being a family. Everybody contributes to their expertise or what they have to contribute. Wow. And none of, no, nothing, none of this is ever solved by one person. It's a joint effort every time. Well, I can see that. I'm, I'm definitely going to reach out to, uh, to Tom to talk about that case. That sounds fascinating. Hey, uh, Jim, thank you so much for the time this morning. Please keep us posted on this, and hopefully we'll talk again. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, Frank. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can reach me at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Mamacita, ¿dónde está Santo Claus? ¿Dónde está Santo Claus? And the toys that he will leave. Mamacita, Classic Christmas song, Donde Esta Santa Claus, by the great Augie Rios. Uh, love this song. And uh, I figured with so many of the cities that this show is airing in being, you know, increasingly visited by migrants from Central America, maybe some of the bumper music should reflect more of a Spanish music flair. So we'll see... Uh, We'll see where that goes. All right, 800-848-9222. Going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. My wife and I, uh, obviously, I think a lot of you can relate with inflation, especially if you have children. 
my wife and I were doing our budget over the over the weekend, and we were trying to figure out, you know, in the absence of earning more money, what we could do to trim expenses. And pretty much everything that we're buying is an immovable price, right? It's uh, it's not going down anyway. It's either staying the same or it's going up due to inflation. The one area where maybe, maybe, we could trim a monthly expense a little bit is our cable bill. I have been reluctant to do this because I like cable, but it's $165 a month. Most of what we do watch is on streaming, and I think we have a a triple play package. It's cable, it's telephone, and it's internet. If we just strip it down to telephone and internet, I think it might cut our bill by $100, which is pretty significant. I mean, that's about $1,000 a year. I'm curious how that might, how, how that's worked out for you. Because, look, I see the statistics. Every year, more and more people are doing what they call cut the cord. And really, you know, in terms of what programs I actually watch on cable, I watch the news, the local news channel. I watch sports, especially during baseball season. And um, other than that, I mean, that's kind of it in terms of things that are not available on uh, streaming platforms. Once in a while, I'll try to watch some wrestling, but that's few and far between. Matt, you still have cable? Yeah, I can't do it. You can't cut the cord. I just can't. I, I mean, and I have every streaming service there is. Same. And I just had my Paramount Plus renew automatically at $119 a year. And I got it last year because they were having a 50% off sale. So then you get roped in, you forget that you have it. Exactly. And it renews and I go, well, I just guess I'll have it for another year. And I have Peacock. Peacock I got it for free. But I Netflix, Hulu, Paramount Plus. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. And I, I watch some things, but I don't know if I do I really watch enough to justify. And I do, I say to myself, well, I want to watch this movie. Like I watched the new Eddie Murphy Christmas movie. That's on Amazon Prime. So that's like oh, my justification. Yeah, How it's called that? Candy Cane Lane. Was that good? It's all right. It's a it, Christmas movie. Is it funny? You know? Yeah, it's pretty good. I uh, mean, it's, I like Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I'll just check that out. All right. So I don't know how I'm to. I don't know how to handle that. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. I, I fear my relationship with cable may be coming to an end. All right. Hey, uh, commendations coming up in mere moments. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. 